All right. Welcome to Basketball 201. Used to be a part of Banner Monday, but we split it off into its own thing here on Tuesdays. As you can tell, no intro music, no bells and whistles. This is going to just be some straight basketball talk, Ben. And, the way uh, it should be, just straight, straight hoops. Straight hoops. And as much as we would all just like to put the Nebraska game completely in the rearview mirror, we're going to talk about the Nebraska game today and one specific element of it. Because one of the things that we talked about on the post game show is that, you know, how, the way that we saw Nebraska defend Indiana is kind of a template for how teams are probably going to start doing it moving forward just because of kind of how Indiana's offense is set up right now, you know, where you have the two great players in Romeo and Juwan, but you don't really have enough guys around them that are threats and that can be used to create space. And that's kind of what we're going to focus on is how Indiana's lack of credible threats outside really creates a spacing issue that is going to make life tough on Romeo and Juwan, as it definitely was last night. Yeah, and you, you touched on just, just to kind of outline, you know, how teams are actually guarding Indiana right now. I, I don't have a video of this um, because the game hasn't, you know, I, the, the full game hasn't been posted on YouTube or anywhere like that. And uh, the replay is actually blacked out uh, in Indiana on on BTN to go. Unfortunately, it be blacked out for life from anybody ever watching. <laughs> blacked out game. of BTN, blacked out of everyone's memories. Yeah. Um, but basically, it was similar to the way Maryland defended Indiana, particularly Romeo Langford. You know, when he comes off that pick and roll, teams are just going to start bringing their big man, whoever's guarding the screener, out to stop him. They're going to basically gonna put two on the ball and kind of what Indiana does, you know, the, a hard hedge, but it's not quite a hedge, like, you know, parallel to the sideline. It's more just kind of showing him an extra body and maybe making a couple of extra slides with him. And what what basically is happening is whoever's guarding Justin Smith or Zach McRoberts or whoever it is that's, you know, a non-shooter on the floor is basically helping on the roll man. And then they recover. We've talked about the way that works um, on this show extensively. Uh, but where that hurts Indiana is not having those shooting threats. And actually I, Archie Miller touched on it last night, which kind of surprised me, but he basically said, you know, we've got guys who aren't being guarded right now. And he's remarkably candid in his post game comments. Yeah. Like he assesses things pretty well. Yeah, and he, he's he's called out the team's lack of effort before. He did it again last night. Uh, but th- it's something you see, you know, kind of in in. Sometimes you see it in NCAA tournament games. You see it a lot in NBA playoff games where when the stakes are the highest, the people if you can't shoot, people are just going to not guard you until you prove that you can shoot. And I think Indiana's running into that problem a little bit right now, where you have guys like Justin Smith and Zach McRoberts who not only are you know not great shooters, but they're not even willing shooters at this point. You, you have to actually shoot the ball and make the defense respect that that proposition basically uh you know to to pose some sort of threat otherwise it's just like you're not even out there on offense and so even if you're missing the shots and we'll touch on this um with the Nebraska players with a couple of videos but even if you're not making them at a super high rate you've got to take that shot just to you know establish like hey I'm going to take this you know you you have to at least step out and and challenge this shot you know once twice three times a game and that can help the offense a lot, kind of open things up for Romeo Langford, Juwan Morgan, guys like that. And I asked Romeo last night about, you know, the way that he's being guarded with those two guys on the ball, you know, seeing a lot of extra bodies now. And but in each of the last two games, things have kind of opened up for him in the second half. He kind of chalked it up to the big guys being in foul trouble. You know, if you keep attacking, you kind of be relentless and keep getting into the lane. Eventually, they won't play you quite as hard because they know you can get into the lane and be aggressive that way. So it, it's kind of a a long-term process where it takes a little while to wear that strategy down. 
That happened in, against Maryland. That happened against Nebraska. I think it'll continue happening. I wouldn't be surprised if Purdue used the same kind of strategy. But that's going to be why something wouldn't you <laughs> until we adjust? You know, right? Exactly. And and I've got a big piece coming out hopefully soon on just kind of how the offense has shifted more toward Romeo. And I think as that continues to happen, I don't think we've reached the you know upper bound of how much Romeo there can be in this offense. And as he takes on more and more responsibility, he's going to have to keep kind of dealing with and figuring out these new defensive strategies that he's going to see because at the end of the year, he's going to, he's, he'll have seen basically everything you can throw at him and you're kind of learning how to deal with that is one of the challenges that he'll have to face. It's an interesting catch 22. You know, I I think you brought up the important distinction of uh, you have to be able to make them, but you also have to be willing to take them. Like Zach McRoberts can make threes. We've seen it, but he doesn't even look at the basket anymore. Hasn't hit a shot since Duke. I know, you know, Justin Smith, same thing. Like he's got a decent stroke. We've seen him make them. He didn't even really look at the basket last night out of, you know, outside of a couple shots early on. And the catch 22 is, you know, we know, you know, we know how Archie wants to play. He wants to play through the paint. He wants them to be very selective with the three-pointers that they take. You know, let's shoot a relatively high percentage, but not take that many because it's not a strength of the team. And yet, part of the reason why the spacing is starting to get messed up is because we're not taking them, which means that, you know, maybe we need to... St- and look, maybe there have been opportunities in the film sessions where Archie's like, look, you're open, shoot the ball, because, yeah. you know, we all see them. So it might not be totally that he's withholding them from shooting but yet maybe part of that strategy part of that mindset is kind of in the players heads because you do see a little bit of indecision when guys get the ball wide open like wait a minute you know should I shoot this wait you know do I need to pass it like there's just from some of the tertiary potential tertiary scoring options there's it doesn't feel like there's a lot of rhythm and a lot of confidence and Archie alluded to this last night and that's going to be something that'll have to get fixed right that's the thing is you don't have to you know I'm not you're not calling for Justin Smith or Zach McRoberts to, you know, chuck up five threes a game or force contested shots when they're not there. It's just, you can't have like those record scratch moments where you get, you kick it out to a wide open McRoberts and he doesn't shoot it. Like when, when you get that within the flow of the offense, those yeah. good shots, you just got to take it. like, to, again, it only happens maybe once, twice, three times a game. It's not like a regular thing. Like they're going to be three point bombers all of a sudden, but you can't just have those, you know, momentum killing catch look, and then pass up the shot kind of moments. Those are just, yeah. you know, they, they, they don't contribute to a healthy offense, I don't think. All right, so let's, uh, let's add some film to this discussion. If you're listening on the podcast, the link to the YouTube video for this is in the show notes. You can always go to our YouTube page, youtube.com slash assemblycall. We've got a special playlist just for these Basketball 201 videos there as well. So you can always find it there. Yeah, so the first video is of Isaiah Roby. This is from the first half. He actually, uh, one of the important moments, I think, in this game was about five minutes later, around the 14 and a half minute mark, Roby actually hit a kind of a pick and pop catch and shoot three from right about here at the top of the arc. Um, he only took two threes this game. He was one of two. But I think hitting that shot from the top of the key, and this isn't that play, but when he did hit that shot, it, it kind of, you know, it, it established like, okay, I'm here. I'm going to take this shot. And Indiana kind of had that in their minds for the rest of the game. They were They had to be mindful of Isaiah Roby's three-point ability, even though he's only shooting about 30% or was shooting about 30% on the season going into this game. And then you had Isaac Copeland, who was shooting about 36% going into this game. He was only one of four last night, but he hit a couple of mid-range jumpers. He was able to space the floor a little bit, you know, stretch things out. And Indiana, again, they had to respect that threat. And so the thing I wrote my, my notebook on last night at Inside the Hall um, was basically this idea that 
Nebraska outscored Indiana by 18 points from, from the, the three-point line. Indiana was 2 of 14. Nebraska was 8 of 24. But the impact of, of you know, the three-point line and how each team used it was evident well beyond just the mere points that were scored from, from three. And so I think you see part of that here where once you have those bigs for Nebraska stretching the floor and kind of making Indiana be mindful of that, it opens up a lot on the interior. And you know, there's a good argument to be made, and I think this is true, and people will make this argument, that the effort just wasn't there, and that was the biggest problem. And I think that's true. I think the rotations were not smooth last night. Indiana did not look tied together on defense. They looked lazy. They looked like they didn't have any energy. And that's obviously a problem. You got to fix that. But I do think that Nebraska had something to do with that themselves. I do think these bigs had had something to do with that. And so you see that on the first play of the game, 1953, you can see on the clock, this is right after Nebraska wins the tip. They're going to come out and run a pick and roll with Roby and James Palmer. And you'll see just these watch Justin Smith and Devontae Green, mostly Devontae Green here uh, on this rotation. You know, this is a, a type of play that we've gone through before on these basketball 201 segments, but Al Durham, he's going to be one pass away. So he's stuck over here on Thomas Allen in the corner, but Justin Smith and Devonte green are on the weak side. And so they've got to do a better job rotating here, but you'll see because Isaac Copeland, who's being guarded by Justin Smith, because he's a 36% three point shooter, Justin can't just sag into the paint here and, and, you know, focus solely on taking away Roby on the roll. And meanwhile, Glenn Watson Jr., who's over here, he was shooting 42% coming into last night and hit a lot of big shots in, in Monday night's game. Devontae Green has to be mindful of him. And so you see both of those things kind of playing into this rotation where you'll just see Devontae kind of you know space out Jeez. and follow Watson out. And Isaiah Roby is, is wide open. And that kind of set the tone for what Nebraska wanted to do all game long. I'll play that clip again, just so people can see it in full. This happened several times over the course of the game. I mean, this was not a one-time occurrence. It happened a couple times in the first half, and you're like, okay, you know, that's an adjustment they've got to make. Then it kept happening in the second half, and it was just kind of like, this is not something that Indiana can stop tonight, whether it be because of effort, whether it be because of scheme, whether it be because of Nebraska. I think, personally, it's all three of those things kind of working together, but that was kind of the lasting image I had of last night's game was just Nebraska getting these wide-open layups off of the pick-and-roll. So Juwan's kind of doing a hard hedge on that screen to try and stop Palmer. So he has to be able to trust that the guys behind him are going to rotate properly. And so, right. so you're saying, so in, in that case, you know, Justin has to keep his, he has to stay not necessarily glued to Copeland, but he has to keep his eye on Copeland. So Devonte should have stepped up there. And, Devante, yeah. Devonte should have been here. He should have been yeah. at, the, at the charge circle. And, and one thing I think this, you know, starts with Juwan as well, because you'll notice on this hedge, it's not really a hedge. It's more of kind of a high drop. Yeah. And he slides a couple times with James Palmer. It's but, the same thing that we've kind of gotten on Clifton Moore for, actually. Right. If, if he's going to hedge this, he's got to get out and get parallel to the sideline here and stop this drive. Because what creates this passing angle is the fact that James Palmer Jr. is able to get all the way over here to the right wing. Yeah. And you can see Justin Smith actually does his job, tags the roller, but because Palmer's able to get all the way to the wing, he's got a much easier angle to find this roll man because this vertical pass kind of over the top is a really tough one to make. But if you're able to kind of move to the side and get that in, you can see it kind of forms like a triangle here with, you know, ball here and then the roll making this kind of hypotenuse of the triangle. Um, I didn't explain that very well, but you can kind of see what I'm talking about. Didn't expect to hear the word hypotenuse on this yeah. podcast. <laughs> if, you know, if, if Palmer's not able to create that passing angle, he's probably not even able to make that pass. And that starts with Juwan Morgan 
doing a better job on that hedge. And that comes down to, you know, being ready to play because it was almost yeah. like he was just kind of a half step slow getting out there because he didn't recognize it quick enough. And it yeah, and and it, first play of the game too, you, you got to set a better tone than that. Yeah. So I'm glad I'm glad we pointed that out because as I said, you know, we've we've kind of ripped Clifton Moore for doing some of those things and but Juwan did it right there and he absolutely has to be better than that all throughout the game but especially early to set that tone. Yeah. All right, Second well, that didn't make me feel any... Do you have anything that's going to make us feel better? You don't, do you? Uh, this one likely will not. Okay. Um, second half, kind of, you know, similar action. You're going to have Tanner Borkhart, number 20 here. He actually played a lot of minutes in the second half. I was kind of surprised. It was like the best moment of the game when it was 35-32. We had some hope yeah, at this it, point. Yeah, this was right after Indiana had hit a few shots. And this was real, like, Nebraska started pulling away kind of right here. This was the moment. Yeah. This is Indiana's chance, and they 8-0 run from that point. Yeah, the Indiana couldn't quite get within uh, arm's length here. So, you know, same kind of play. James Palmer Jr. in the pick and roll. He was fantastic last night. I think had seven assists, all of them, you know, in the first 32, 33 minutes of the game. Uh, he was really, really good. But, you know, you see Indiana going to a drop here. They're not going to do that hard hedge, which I think is good. It helps simplify things. But again, Juwan, you know, spends a little a moment too long maybe out here, uh, you know, kind of showing on James Palmer. You don't get a good rotation from Justin Smith here, but again, watch how the floor is spaced where you have Borkhart involved in the pick and roll. And so obviously you have to guard him. You have to stay attached to him. Uh, this is Thomas Allen out here. That's Devontae Green's man. So Devontae is going to kind of, you know, stay within striking distance. And Justin Smith, this is the kind of the big, the big moment of this possession where Justin Smith is guarding Copeland, who again, 36% three-point shooter coming into this game. And so when Copeland kind of lifts up to the top, he's a three-point threat. And so Justin Smith has to come out and guard him. And as he does that, it takes away this backline defense, and there's no one here to stop the layup. And, you know, Jawan probably could have done a little bit better job getting back in front. You know, right here, he probably needs to start making this rotation because Romeo is back on on Palmer's hip. And once he's there, you know, the, the drop man can kind of get back. But because there's no backline defense, because Nebraska's spacing the floor all the way out to the top of the key, you know, if you are able to get that pass through, which Palmer was, you just get a wide open layup and there's no one there to do anything about it. So there's no backline defense and you're saying there really shouldn't be like, it's not like Justin Smith was wrong to go a little bit closer to Copeland. He had to because of the threat that that guy's, I think he's one pass away from Palmer hitting him for a wide open in rhythm three if he's not, if he's not out there. Exactly, because oh, and I'll kind of use this visual here to show it, because let's say Justin Smith stays here and Copeland pops up here. Well, he's wide open for the top of the key three. And, you know, I guess that would be on Rob Finnessy, maybe to step up here and then Indiana kind of X's out and, you know, follows that. But maybe maybe that would be the preferable alternative. But, you know, again, it kind of puts you in a, in an opportunity in a situation where you don't really have a good choice. You kind of just have to guess and choose which you know, which shot you'd rather give up. I think Smith probably makes the wrong decision here. Um, you know, just if you want to play the numbers, it's probably more likely that Borkhart makes this layup than it is that Copeland hits this three if you want to go points per possession. But again, you know, do you want to leave your man or do you want to go help on the roller? Either way, someone's going to be open. Mm. Yeah. And again, you know, when you have credible shooters out there, it just it changes all of the geometry. Like, look at how free flowing and and you know Nebraska's offense looks there. I mean, yeah. were there two possessions all game where Indiana's looked like that? It felt like everything was a struggle. Yeah, you know, and that's that was the big difference last night. 
And as part of the reason that Nebraska was able to play a one, three, one was because Indiana just didn't like uh, ideally against a one, three, one, you'd have kind of two guys, two ball handlers who can shoot it a little bit up top to offset the one guard front. And then you'd put two shooters in the corners, but Indiana just doesn't have enough shooters to put, you know, two credible guys in the corners, especially and once so, Al went out that, yeah, exactly. And you lose a, a one of your best shooters on the team who actually the, has some confidence. Like Al will step up yeah. and take shots, you exactly. know, even, even to the point in the Maryland game where there were a couple who were like, hey, do we really need that shot at that time, Al? But, you know, now I reflect on that a little bit after seeing the Nebraska game. And it's like, yeah, yeah <laughs> we need we someone who could shoot it. <laughs> so maybe I was wrong. Yeah, no, I, I think that's true. You just you you got to have enough shooting and because Nebraska, you know, credit to them for they run the one three one every every game, but credit for them for sticking with it. Um, and giving Indiana multiple looks because they knew that IU just didn't really have the shooting threats to really, you know, it, and especially because if you swing it to Zach McRoberts, if he has like five seconds to get a shot off, he'll take it. But if he's not a guy that you have to worry about, you know, leaving open even for a moment, like if, if you can close out on him, you can probably prevent the shot altogether. If you can just get there kind of in a timely manner. Um, whereas with a guy like Romeo Langford, you kind of have to be on his hip. And so, you know, right, right when he catches the ball. And so Nebraska was able to do that all the time because they could just kind of key in on him and not have to worry about, you know, rushing all over the floor to, to close out and run guys off the line. I think it's important to note, too, you know, we're, you know, this dark cloud of the Nebraska game is hovering over us. I think for several reasons, like the shooting and our willingness to shoot in that game was probably as bad as it's going to be all season because yeah. Al was out and he's been our most consistent three point shooter all year. Rob Finnessy is back, but he's not looking at the basket yet. Like, he is not in rhythm. He's not really looking to shoot it very much. Once you get him back, you know, he was a 40% shooter before he got hurt. If you have Al back in there, that right there is going to give you two more shooting options that you didn't really have against Nebraska. You know, and obviously, if you can ever get Fitzner going again, you know, that's that's going to be helpful. But that, that, I mean, it's becoming a bigger if by the game. Don't yeah. Don't get me wrong. But there is a good shooter in there. You know, same thing. If, if, if you can ever get McRoberts looking at the basket again. So, look, it's a big problem. Don't get me wrong. But I also think it was exacerbated in the Nebraska game, especially because of Robin Al, in ways that it probably won't be moving forward, you know, barring any other injuries that we just don't even want to fathom. Yeah, and that kind of ties into Indiana's issue of depth, which was the other thing I touched on last night, where, like, you, you just got to find someone. And, and I wonder... You know, we talked about Fitzner. He he's kind of unplayable in certain matchups, but I think at a certain point, you, you have to get Morgan and Justin Smith and and Romeo some rest. At, like at some point, just buy them two or three minutes in the second half because you know they're getting gassed in these games down the stretch. Yep. And you know, of course, you want your best players to play minutes. And and you know, if you are a best player on a team, like you've got to be in good enough shape to play heavy minutes. But I mean, you're running Romeo Langford played all 20 minutes of the second half last night. Justin Smith played 19. Uh, Jawan Morgan played 18 in the second half last night. You just, you got to find someone to spell those guys. And I think even a hobbled Deron Davis, even, you know, an Evan Fitzner who may not do much uh, and maybe doesn't put a lot on the table, but just someone who like can be on the court is, is valuable. Like, if or you can just, as people are thinking Clifton or Demisey. I'm not but, saying yeah, that's and, right, and that's, but those are guys that could be options as well. Right. And I was going to bring up Anderson because I think you talk about the shooting, you know, he's a streaky shooter, but if he gets it rolling, he can, he's a guy that can hit some shots at the very least and can and, compensate for his defense because of right. That. And, and to me, you know, Demisi doesn't really like do much. He's just kind of a guy who's out there, but 
a guy who's out there is, you know, better than nothing. Like if, if you're just looking for someone to buy Romeo Langford three minutes in the middle of the second half, like Demise Anderson is not a terrible option. And I get why he's not playing. I get he has limitations. I get that Fitzner has limitations. Like I understand all of this and I know all the reasons why ideally you, you wouldn't want to play those guys major minutes, but I just think given the injuries, given where Indiana's out with their depth, given the schedule that they've got coming up, like you, you've just got to get something off of the bench. And I think, I think that starts with just giving guys a chance and like, you know, trying things. Yeah. You know, it may be, we always have to issue the caveat that we're not there in practice. Archie knows these guys better than we do. He wants to reward good practice play. He's a defensive minded coach. So he's always going to side with the defense, but there does also come a point where you're being too stubborn with your ideal and you have to go with maybe what works with this particular set of circumstances. And far be it for me to suggest that now is the time but I'm certainly more convinced after these last three games that it's time to start considering it, you know, and that maybe, you know, some of the things, some of those choices, you know, maybe now the calculus on some of those things has changed. I think that's certainly fair to wonder. And we'll have to see how he, you know, how he decides to approach that moving forward. Yeah, I agree. Do you have more clips or is that it? That's all the clips I got. That was, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to rub, rub the hardship in too much and there weren't a whole lot of good clips to choose from so i could only really find uh two that i could pluck out of there <laughs> right. well you know maybe it's better that we didn't actually review any indiana possessions because yeah. i think right now when indiana fans close their eyes they they see you know just romeo driving into a wall of nebraska yeah. defenders basically it's one having no room to operate in that game just take the clips that i just showed of nebraska and make it the opposite like they when the role man didn't have any space because Nebraska's rotations were good and they were able to help off of shooters. And, you know, Romeo didn't have any space coming off of the pick and roll because there were two guys in front of him. And if he did get in the lane, there were three other guys there. So that was kind of it, it's basically just the opposite of the two clips that I showed of Nebraska. Let's just let's talk lineup real quick. You know, what would you what do you think would be the ideal group to surround Romeo and Jawan? And let's just, you know, from an offensive standpoint, like what would be the best offensive group to surround those guys? If you're, say, down, you know, eight to ten points and you've got to yeah. kind of make a comeback, who would you put around them? I think if Al Durham were healthy, I think he's in there. Um, I like his, his versatility, you know, his, his size, his length, he's, he's good at, at that. He obviously can shoot, uh, obviously Juwan Morgan's in there. I think Justin Smith is an important player. I think he's just one of the five best guys. Um, and you know, I, I kind of feel like what Archie was doing last night with that six man rotation where he was basically doing like one minute spurts of, of each guy on the bench and kind of bringing them in and out really quickly. I think that's kind of the way to go, or maybe you just kind of play it by ear and see which of the. McRoberts, Finnessy, Green trio is playing the best and and stick with one of those guys. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think it's I think it just kind of varies by the game because there's not a whole lot of consistency. Obviously, you need shooting, but Indiana doesn't really have a lot of great shooters on its roster right now. And for that reason, maybe maybe you say McRoberts just isn't really a very great complement to Romeo right now if he's not going to shoot the ball. Um, Finnessy, when he's healthy, I think is is a really nice fit there. He can defend, he can shoot, good spot up guy. You know, kind of a steadying presence on offense that I think you need and can play be that kind of complimentary secondary ball handler next to Romeo Langford. Uh, and aside from that, I I just don't know who that fifth guy is right now. Let me ask you one more question before we get out of here, because you're able to view this more dispassionately. Um, you know, you didn't necessarily, you know, you can come to IU as like a diehard IU basketball fan. You watch more as an observer than, you know, someone who lives and dies with the wins and losses. 
So, you know, you saw what preceded Archie Miller. You've seen, you know, the first season and a half of Archie Miller. What are your overall impressions? And do you think that some of these, some of the issues that we've seen in the last three games, do you view that as an issue with kind of personnel and not yet having the right people to fit a system? Or do you see inherent issues in the system that are concerning to you from the long, for a, you know, from a long-term perspective? Yeah, I think it's I think it's probably a little bit of both. You know, I've talked about kind of my misgivings with the pack line and and why. You know, I don't. I, I actually had a, a discussion with someone on Twitter about this last night. I Virginia is kind of the model of the pack line, and and every time you know, um, I guess the counter argument to every here's a weakness with the pack line argument is well, look at Virginia, and I think that's true. But Virginia has elite personnel. They have an elite coach, and they have institutional knowledge, and those three things are really important. And so when you when you talk about you know what it takes to execute the pack line, it's a hard defense to run, especially when you have you know guys who are only in their second year running it. It really takes kind of years and years and multiple reps to really get under your belt. So I think it can be effective. It's just to me not necessarily my first choice because of the way it defends ball screens, and we've gotten into that. And I think that's probably because I watch so much NBA and I'm kind of used to the way that things work at that level. Maybe that kind of colors my vision of how things should operate at the college level as well. Um, I'm not totally sure, but 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 to be clear, just to, to highlight that point, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you're going to commit to the pack line, which yeah. you know Indiana is because we hired Archibald and that's what he runs, right? Then you can't really judge it after a year and a half. You have to give it some time, and if you're not willing to do that, right. you should scrap it and try and find another system because you're not really giving it a fair shake. But that's kind of a particular quirk or just element of the pack line as you said you've got to have elite personnel institutional knowledge and an elite coach you know we don't know what level of coach Archie is yet we certainly don't have the institutional knowledge and we don't have the elite talent so we don't have any of the three things maybe we have one of them but we don't know but we don't have the other things that that Virginia has so we've got to kind of slow down with those comparisons unless we're willing to be patient enough to let that develop is that is that fair to say I think that's fair yeah and I would say um you know, as far as the rest of the scheme and the system, I, I th- actually think their offense, I, I didn't really love their offense last year. I thought it was just a little, I didn't think it was super imaginative. I didn't think Indiana's? they, um, what's that? You're talking about Indiana's offense or Virginia? Indiana's offense okay. last season. Uh, and granted, they did not have great personnel last year either. Um, but this year, I think they're doing a little bit better job, you know, more pick and roll, kind of trying to spread the floor, even if they don't always have the weapons to spread the floor. I'd still like to see Indiana take more threes and, and that kind of dovetails with what we were talking about where you've got to empower guys like Justin Smith and Zach McRoberts to shoot the ball if they're open. It's good to see Jawan Morgan taking more threes. I think that can be a part of his game. I've talked before about how I wish Evan Fitzner would take more threes. Um, so I think, you know, that's just a part of kind of modernizing and the way the game is going. I think that's just kind of a, a natural, a, you know, adaptation and adaption of that, that teams have to make um, is just, being more willing to launch from three. And in that sense, I do, I do think Crean maybe didn't get enough credit sometimes for the offensive style that he ran, because it's easy to make the argument that, well, you know, they're just getting up and down and launching open threes all the time and taking the first shot that they can possibly get. And there was more to it than that. He's a, he's a smart offensive coach. I think so too. Yeah. And I, I think, I think that even if that is what they were doing, which it wasn't a lot of the time, but even if it is like, that's not a bad offensive strategy, like trying to get as many threes up as possible if they're open and playing through your best players and playing a fast style and running like a spread pick and roll NBA style offense. That's, that's a good thing, I think. And, and, you know, sometimes I think, 
I think uh, in college you see you see teams you know kind of take pride in like working through possessions and the labor that comes with producing a basket, and that's all good. But I, I do think if you can get easy shots, you take them. And I think Indiana right now is passing up some easy shots by not emphasizing the three as much as some other teams do. Yeah, the the turnovers were egregious, you know, and and, right. and and some you know the lack of discipline. But I mean, offense was definitely not. You know, among the list of reasons why people were frustrated with Crean, offense was yeah. not, you know, not near the top of the list. That's and that really said, I don't think Crean was the most imaginative offense either. I think at, at times that offense looked kind of like stale and and didn't really, it, it kind of, you know, churned in quicksand at, at moments there. I would um, say, I think but, Crean was actually pretty imaginative in terms of what he wanted to do. I don't know that right. he was very good at getting them to do it was the issue. Exactly. Um, one more question. This uh, actually uh, from Kent. He wants to know what defense you would prefer for a college team. Like if you were anointed coach, yeah. what defense would you run? So, uh, you know, I'd probably just run like a drop, you know, um, and, and it depends on personnel. I've advocated for more switching from Indiana with certain players. Certainly you're not going to switch guys like Deron Davis or Evan Fitzner, but you know, they've, they, they, they've committed to kind of this small athletic lineup with Jawan at the five, Justin at the four. That's been their starting lineup all season long. You know, part to me, one of the advantages of that lineup is its mobility. And one of the advantages of mobility is that it allows you to switch on defense. So I would switch a little bit more often if I were Indiana, especially, you know, teams like Nebraska, who are basically 6'6 six, six to 6'9 six, from the, you know, two to five positions when they bring guys in off their bench. They've got a lot of kind of like-sized guys I think Indiana could do some switching against that team and get away with it because they also have a lot of guys who are 6'6", 6'8", 6'9", kind of in that ballpark. So I, I would do a little bit more of that probably. I would, I would kind of simp- – I just think I would simplify things. I, I think you know, for a team that is, is trying to get their bearings, trying to get their feet under them defensively, simplification is, is a little bit easier. And so when you drop the pick and roll and you just ask the, the, the guy guarding the ball handle or just kind of get over the screen – and you, you can guard it basically with two people instead of five, I think that just makes things easier on you as a defense, like on the whole. And I generally agree with you, but I think it's also a little bit of a catch-22 for Archie there because to build that institutional knowledge we're talking about, you've got to stick with your principles and probably exactly. go through some rough times with them if you're committed to what you're doing. But you know, when you're faced with winning now, you also might want to take a shortcut that's better for this particular team. Yep. And I think that's where there maybe needs to be more of a balance. You know, and I look, we all appreciate a stubborn coach. <laughs> Indiana fans are perfectly happy to have a stubborn coach who stick with, sticks with his principles. Yeah. Um, but the mark of a great coach is also one who can be flexible and switch things up. You know, based on his personnel. And I hesitate to say that. Archie isn't doing that or can't do that because again, you've got to be there in practice to get the full context of this. But from the 40 minutes a game that we're seeing, it doesn't feel like maybe it's happening as much as it could from from our vantage point. And I think that's a fair I don't know if it's a criticism, but it's certainly a fair thing to want to see more of, I think. Yeah, that's a great point. That's something I was thinking about last night is, you know, part of me, I, I agree with you. I, I you know, I wish that they would kind of simplify things, maybe switch things up schematically. But on the other hand, you know, if you're going to get to a, a level of a Virginia running the pack line defense, you have to actually run it. You have to put it in. And so you're kind of faced with these conflicting pressures of, well, we want to be a great long-term program, but we also want to win with the guys we have now. And so how do we balance those things where we can be great now and great in the future? And it's, it's hard. It's hard to do that. That's why I'm not a college coach. That's why uh, I kind of hesitate to, to answer that question sometimes because I'm not in Archie Miller's shoes. You know, I, I can, I can, you know, talk from behind the camera and, and say they should do this, they should do this. 
but I'm it's not all theoretical there. up here. <laughs> exactly. I, you know, the stakes are very low for me. Yes. I'm, I'm, my job is not on the line. If you know, Indiana <laughs> switches or doesn't switch their defense. So, um, that that's, it, it's much easier for me to kind of say that. And, and, you know, I'm not in the position of actually having to coach it and put it into, you know, a, a 12 man roster, 15 man roster. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for this, Ben. Always great to catch up and talk basketball. Any any final thoughts that you want to close with as we now turn our attention toward a very, very big Purdue game on Saturday? Yeah, I guess I guess I would just say that that's kind of what they've got to move on to. And and you know, again, it's Purdue, Nebraska, Maryland. You know, all these teams. You, you know, even like um, Ohio State, Wisconsin, all kind of in the middle of the pack in the Big Ten. And so you're going to see. Indiana's right there with them. And so all these games, I think, are going to be fairly evenly matched on paper. Obviously, last night's game was not evenly matched in practice. But, you know, it's it's all kind of grinded out tough games with, with you know, opponents of equal caliber. So I think all these games are going to be really important, all going to be really fun. And um, I will add that I'm on color commentary for that Purdue game on WIUX. So if you want to tune into that, you may. If you don't, then I certainly don't blame you for listening to Don Fisher. Yeah, always, always a good option. But it's nice to have a, it's nice to have a backup. Okay, one more question: How would you defend Carson Edwards if you were Indiana? What kind of defense would you run on them? This is where I actually think the the pack line is good, and and where you where hedging the pick and roll is actually really effective, because I think you know the the reason that I think you can drop a little bit more liberally in college is because you don't have the Steph Currys, the Dame Lillards, the Kemba Walkers who can just turn the corner off the screen and pull up from 25, 30 feet for three there aren't many of those guys in college. And so if you drop the, if, if you drop the pick and roll and have to fight over and that guy has a little bit of space, he's not going to kill you most likely with those pull-up threes. But Carson Edwards is, you know, the rare player in the big 10 that can actually do that. And so I think you do want to cut off his driving lanes. You do want to take away his sight lines when he turns around that pick and roll, because if you give him space, he can pull up for three. And so by bringing that big man out and kind of cutting off his, his driving lanes, cutting off his passing angles, I think you can actually take a player like that away, you know, to a degree and maybe make things more difficult on him uh, than you would for another player. Would you put Finnessy on him or put Devontae on him? Or would you maybe try a bigger guy like Romeo, like Michigan State put McQuaid yeah. on him, who's what, 6'4", six, 6'5"? Six, I think I think I might go with Finnessy, at least to start. Uh, maybe McRoberts spends some time on him. I don't oh, know how boy. healthy McRoberts is right now. McRoberts from last year? Yeah, he's... Yeah. Man, it, it's it's hard watching him. Remembering that's, what that's he was what I defensively. Had like... A healthy McRoberts, I think, could actually do a decent job. But right now, I just don't know how much he can give you. So I think it's probably, again, you mix things up. You show him different looks. You kind of try different things. I'd hesitate to put Romeo on him just because of how much Romeo has to do on offense. Do you want to wear him down running around screens and, you know, having to pressure the ball for 40 minutes? I don't know. We'll see. But Maybe I, I a possession go, here or there to exactly. maybe switch it up or something. Yeah, I'd go fantasy to start and just kind of see where that takes you. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe if Al's healthy, you can give, you know, he can yeah. give you a little bit of length too. maybe switch it Actually, off. Yeah, Al Durham would be a good option too because of the length. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to see how he is. All right, Ben. Thanks for, uh, for joining us. Always a good chat. We'll do this every Tuesday for the foreseeable future, two o'clock yeah. Eastern time. Probably have more clips next time. Yep. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't think we need a whole lot of clips to illustrate what the issues were last night. So yeah. Thanks for being here, and thanks to everybody for listening. We will talk to you again Thursday night. By the way, Andy sent me an email today with a great idea uh, for what to talk about on Thursday night, so uh, I'm excited about that. So we're gonna, I'll do some prep work for that. I'm not going to give it away, but I think it's going to be a useful conversation um, in terms of how we approach you know, moving forward and, and what this team can do. So tune in for that Thursday night, and then, of course, we'll have the IU Purdue postgame show on Saturday.
All right, everybody. We'll talk to you Thursday. Pop some new cascade in your dishwasher with 50% more cleaning power. 50% more cleaning power. New cascade does it better. 50% more cleaning power. New cascade does it cleaner. Switch to new cascade platinum with 50% more cleaning power. No need to rinse your dishes, and it's even strong enough for the quick wash cycle. New Cascade Platinum. Pop some new Cascade in your dishwasher with 50% more cleaning power. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client.